0: Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. Welcome to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. My name is Tim Grady, and I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss. And Lou, we're going to talk about a very interesting article you and I read in the Washington Post Kentucky steel mills, shutters, steel workers still see you know, issues with Trump's intervention, the Trump tariffs, the trade war. And we have Jeffrey Stein, who is the policy reporter for The Washington Post, joining us to kind of elaborate on what he saw with his feet on the ground in Kentucky. Hey,
1: Thank you so much for having me on.
2: Yeah, it was great. Thank you very much. Uh, a great article. I think you you got all your all the points out, and I think you've made some uh, – you've clarified things for people who really don't have a full understanding of what this is all about. So why don't I give you your head, and uh, let's ride on out to the prairie.
1: <laughs> um, so should I just talk a little bit about the story? Yeah, um, sure. Yeah, that that would be great. Thank you guys for having me on and for uh, all that you do. Um, you know, basically, we we felt that there was a need to write about some of the turbulence we're seeing in the steel industry, in part because, in some ways, it's really at at the center of this. Global trade war that's really shook the world economy and led to all sorts of uncertainty in the stock market. Um, it had a wide-ranging effect uh, on a number of American businesses, but as as you guys know very well. Um, a big justification of, of some of these tariffs have been to protect and revitalize the American steel industry, which, you know, has been hurting for the last few years. And um, the president slapped 25% tariffs on uh, steel imports, 10% import uh, tariffs on um, aluminum imports. And for a time, it really looked like, you um, this had the intended consequence, which was that steel prices rose quite dramatically and led to a surplus of profits that many of these companies were able to use um, to invest in new plants, in additional operating capacity, um, in hiring more workers. And the White House, unsurprisingly, was very eager to celebrate those gains, but Really, um, less than a year um, after sort of a very heady moment for American steel and this Trump administration policy, things have sort of turned south in american steel and there 's a number of reasons that we can get into but but the upshot is that even if you do what the tariffs are intended to do, which is insulate um, domestic supply and raise the prices of domestic supply, you still need purchasers, it doesn't really matter what what the supply is if you don't have high demand. And the trade war, um, among other factors, helped slow demand for steel, um, and as a result, and partially as a result and partially for some other reasons, um, steel is now um, less expensive than it was before the tariffs went on, even though the tariffs have not come off. And the steel stock prices, which did phenomenally well when the tariffs were first imposed, really more so than when the tariffs were first imposed, that it was more sort of in anticipation of the tariffs being imposed that prices rose very quickly and steel stock prices rose very quickly. Now those steel companies are now trading lower than they were before the tariffs went on. And as you mentioned, we traveled to Kentucky um, to see you know, um, a steel plant that's closing. In, in Ashland, Kentucky, this was a plant that once employed, Um, thousands and thousands of people. It was really the the economic um, engine of this part um, of eastern Kentucky, a poorer, more rural part of the state. And it's never really recovered from the decline of this plant. And uh, a lot of the workers there had high hopes that when Trump imposed these tariffs that it had a chance of saving their plant. And yet, you know, about a year later, they're all preparing to lose their jobs at the end of this year.
2: Well, everybody started drinking the lemonade and uh, buying into the story that this was a smart idea. Tariffs never worked; quotas work. Why we went this route is beyond me, and everyone is now hurting, as you pointed out. Steel companies, manufacturing companies, import-export companies, and goes on and on and on. Uh, where and there's no, doesn't seem to be any uh, end in sight. Because uh, it's no longer in the news cycle to any great extent, Uh, you know, these last couple of weeks and for the foreseeable near future is going to be uh, the uh, uh, the Trump impeachment uh, cycle, if you if you will. So, uh, what what do you see from where you are as to whether or not this is going to be back down? uh it was supposed to be a phase one and a phase two methodology all of a sudden that just disappeared off the radar. Have you heard anything through your your quarters?
1: yeah that's a really good question, and I think the administration has been um exceedingly vague uh right now about exactly what that what, what <laughs> about what that will will look like um mm. but i I think there's certainly a chance that that i mean we've heard i think in may um when we heard some some talk of a deal that that would be on the table that these these tariffs could be part of that um then again it's it's hard to imagine how severe the consequences could be for the steel industry given that they're already hurting and if these tariffs meant to protect them also come off on china i mean i think that um a bitter pill for the president to swallow it's it's sort of hard to imagine that um so i you know there's really pretty strong political risks in either direction um my guess is maybe they can come up with some sort of partial relaxation but that's 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 pure speculation when i talked to um, an administration official for the story that i'm on to talk about um he actually sort of said that they are or sort of intimated that they're looking at further restrictions on the supply, whereas you know the, a potential deal pushes in the other direction, right? He he sort of intimated the idea that um, basically since the tariffs were imposed, countries have become increasingly effective at um, evading them, at passing them through other countries. There's a lot of concern that. Uh, you know, effectively the steel tariffs were removed on Canada and Mexico as part of the USMCA trade agreement. And um, there's a, you know, the administration is, is taking a look at whether China is essentially shipping the steel to Canada or Mexico, repackaging it there, and then sending it into the U.S. free of the import duties. And it sounded like from this official, like there's a chance that they move in some capacity to try to reduce that or try to crack down on that. Um, Whether that um, happens or not remains to be seen, but it it certainly seems in tension with the idea that this um, phase one deal, as you referred to it, um, could relax some of these barriers. Well, the the phase one, as
2: I understand it, was basically that Trump was not going to raise the tariff on December 15th, that was his give back, which makes for a really lousy deal for China. Uh, and the the other point, uh, and I just wanted to make a mention, when you were talking about what the tariffs are and that it's 10 uh, percent uh, for aluminum uh, that or 15 percent, I don't remember the number, but that's already on top of another tariff that was instituted years ago on Chinese aluminum. So the Chinese aluminum tariff is actually at 25%. And uh, they never backed down on that first um, uh, tariff that was imposed a couple of years ago. So it, it seems that once they impose a tax or uh, uh, quotas, it, it never seems to go back to where it was. So what happens the we see it is that Many clients and customers on a worldwide basis will do things to alter their uh, supply chain, find a new place. For example, we're the biggest supplier of soybeans to China. Well, we're not anymore. Brazil is, and they have no reason to come back to the United States to buy our soybeans unless mm-hmm. they're coerced into a quo, quo, pro, quo, quid
1: pro quo situation, <laughs> which is a uh-huh. new popular term in D.C., <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's it's an interesting point and I think there's a you know, on the on the ag side there's a a lot of concern about what happens to those supply chains, especially if they permanently shift um to Brazil or to other countries, what kind of impact will that have long term on US agricultural producers? Mm-hmm. Um, and given the unlikelihood of, you know, getting that fixed, or even as you're sort of saying, like, from the perspective of the Chinese it may appear that where they're they're offering just a, effectively a return to the status quo We're not even quite that um, situation and so its it seems um worth worth asking that question of what what does this mean for for producers who rely on their supply chains to china are they are they looking at permanent destruction of that of that business model and that um you know op- business opportunity
2: well the it, it there are companies that are now looking at other opportunities, and some of those opportunities you referred to before, the goods that they buy from China they can buy from Korea or, or, or Japan, uh, and you don't know if you're buying a Japanese or Korean product. You could be buying a Chinese product just under disguise. Uh, so that is going on, and almost impossible for that to be monitored. Uh, it just makes it a little bit more complex and a little bit more expensive as a result of increased costs in the logistics and import-export uh, costs and so on. Um, so you know, I, I, I,
1: mm-hmm. I will say that, it, you know, not not to give the administration too much credit, but from the perspective <laughs> of, of, of the workers that we spoke to in Kentucky, um, even a number of them who voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016, they really were – quite grateful that the administration seemed to be listening to their concerns about Chinese dumping um, and Chinese flooding of the market, um, especially with steel, and that, you know, the prices had been artificially deflated and that, you know, they, they had this sense, again, even those who don't like the president, they had this sense that someone was finally being willing to st- step up and confront China on this issue. And, of course, that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that the policy has been effective, but um, it. it I think it is worth pointing out that there are a lot of people who have been waiting for more dramatic action, a lot of still workers at least for a long time and felt at least from the ones I talked to a degree of gratitude that that um, had been done in some capacity.
2: Well, I I agree. I agree with what you're saying that things need to be corrected in our trade policies with China. Um, This one, this policy is affecting or could ultimately affect the entire global economy. So there, there has to be a better way and a more sensible way uh, that's fair to everyone, um, as opposed to trashing uh, one supposedly trashing one country while actually taxing its own population. It, it just, to me, doesn't make sense.
0: Jeffrey, I'm curious, as policy reporter for the Washington Post, what other policies do you report
1: on? Uh, taxes, health care, um, housing occasionally. It's a pretty wide okay. array of things, yeah.
0: And are you following any of the developments in uh, health care as it relates to um, whether or not Social Security or Medicaid or Medicare is going to take a whack somewhere by some administration?
1: It's an interesting question. Um, You look at the numbers and you look at the fact that America spends, I think it's about 18% of its gross domestic product on health care, and then you look at the population boom and sort of the demographics of you know the, the retirement of the baby boomers and the numbers that will be turning um, over 65 in the, in the coming years. Uh, and it, it really, it does appear like something's got to give. Um, it's been kind of interesting because I think people look at the deficit numbers and they look at um, entitlement spending and they assume that the higher degree of entitlement spending is causing the higher deficits. It's actually, it's actually not the case, at least right now. Um, we've had a historically low period of interest rates, and that has allowed the amount of spending we're currently doing on Medicare and Social Security to be much lower um, than had been anticipated a few years ago. Um, but should interest rates rise, and even if, if they stay where they are, we're really um, – putting ourselves in a very difficult financial situation, especially if you look at how much we're already spending on um, interest payments on the national debt. Um, So it it seems like even if there aren't cuts to Medicare and Medicaid um, at some point, there may be a need to do something about, Sort of the dramatic increase in healthcare costs and healthcare spending, and if that doesn't get under control, then yes, I mean maybe people's benefits are, will have to be reduced to to prevent the the um, budget from you know exploding. But but there's just so little political appetite for that, and I think. You know, understandably, you're talking about you know people's expectations that the government will take care of their health care in their late age and and pay for their retirements. And you know, and Social Security has been a you know essential part of the American contract for a long time. But um, there's really, really, you know, even Republicans have no there's almost no discussion whatsoever of you know really looking at Medicare or Social Security spending and trying to take it on. Republicans have talked about cutting Medicaid, but, but, you know, that would require them, you know, even when they had full control of the House and Senate uh, and White House, they didn't affect you know, they weren't able to do that. So it seems likely to be off the table for now.
0: Well, I can understand uh, the expectation of the American people since they've been taxed out of their paychecks since the 1940s, actually since about 1913 with the federal income tax when that – uh, yet for, you know, FICA, SUI, food, all of those taxes. So I can certainly understand why the American people would think they have a right to get coverage based on the money that was withdrawn from their checks before they ever saw them. Right.
2: Well, Absolutely. who knew the government would take the money and use it for other uh, uh, projects?
0: We knew? <laughs> 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 they would raid the security Quote on trust fund. Right, <laughs> right. So, it's uh, worth
1: noting, you know, when when those programs were set up, uh, you know, the life expectancy in this country was like way, you know, several decades shorter. So they didn't have to uh, fund people's retirements for nearly as long. So it it makes sense that we're going to have to figure out a way to make sure that we can let people retire um, in a way that is sustainable but that that will require either more spending or higher taxes or some sort of I mean we, we've, had, we've had a number of great stories some um, of my colleagues at the post have written about just how the, the value of the social Security benefits are, are not keeping pace with the increase that costs that seniors face, not just for health care. Obviously, Medicare doesn't cover everything, but also for housing and for for transportation and other critical costs. I mean, this is very clear that you know, you're seeing a lot of Democrats on the presidential campaign, particularly Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, say we need to, I think it's you know double the, the benefit uh, package from Social Security because the package that was set up, you know, for you know 50, 60 years ago was really only intended for you know your five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years of retirement before you were likely to die, not you know 20, 30 years, which is what it's expecting uh, what people are counting on it for now.
2: Who knew, who knew that we were all going to live longer? <laughs> They couldn't have planned now, now, by the way, <laughs> there is a solution to this because there's a sci-fi book that came out years and years ago called Soilent Green. And it was a, <laughs> do you know the book, the
1: story? I'm familiar with it. Yeah, I do know uh, the story. Where
2: they turn old people into protein tablets to feed the rest of the population in a You word. know, they'll
1: start with reporters, right? <laughs> you no, Jeffrey, yeah. let's start with the lawyers. <laughs> yeah. Start
0: with the lawyers and the people in Congress. Imagine a country setting up a retirement system with the expectation at the time that people would be dead long before they could reach out for the money you took from their paychecks.
1: <laughs> What's the uh, well, it's like Henry V. The first thing we'll do is we'll kill all the lawyers.
2: Right, right, right.
1: I actually have a button on a jacket of mine that says that.
0: <laughs> well, Jeff, considering is, that 97% of the people in Congress are lawyers. Right. <laughs> well, now there we you go.
2: So like I said at the beginning of the show, we really don't talk politics too much. Um, no, we just trash the entire do.
0: government. Well,
2: okay, <laughs> so we don't have to single out anyone. Jeff, this is uh, amazing. Uh, loved you being on the show. Uh, you sure know your stuff and your research uh, uh, bears out a full understanding of what's going on. Uh, we are going to be posting the actual article uh, on our website uh, for you to read the entire article. So for those of you who are listening, you can find the article. We'll make it easy for you, uh, probably one click. None of those six seven clicks. You don't have to give us your social security number or even the last three <laughs> digits of your social security number.
1: Uh,
2: Jeff, it was it was really fun having you on.
1: Appreciate it, and uh, let's talk in the future. Okay, great, great being on, and I, I look forward to listening to you guys show moving forward as well. It sounds like a really interesting program. Take care.
2: Take care. We're now we're going to give you. We're,
1: we're going to give the uh,
2: email address for. Uh, uh, Jeff, which is
0: Jeffrey I have Jeffrey at WashingtonPost.com, and Jeff, as you do reporting in the manufacturing space, if you've got a hot story, we'd love to uh, we'd love to hear it. We certainly appreciate uh, Jeffrey Stein from the Washington Post joining us here on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Lou and I have had a lot of interesting conversations about tariffs. Interestingly enough, tariffs used to fund it in some years as much as 95% of the federal government revenues because when the federal government set itself up uh, back in the 1780s, they forgot to include a way to force states to pay taxes. They could only request taxes from states, so they looked for other ways to collect taxes, and that was the second act passed by the new Congress and signed by President Washington uh, way back when. So that's kind of how tariffs were born. But as Lou and I have done the research over the years when tariffs have been employed, yes, they raised money for the federal government, but they also hurt the country that imposed them, in this case, the good old U.S. of A. Lou? Yeah.
2: No, it's uh, it's, uh, it's just foolhardy, and hopefully that they will be wiser wiser men in the future who will handle this differently we will
0: see what happens so thank you for joining us on this episode of manufacturing talk radio please feel free to come to com to see all of our shows as we expand our library of information for the manufacturing industry and industry in general we appreciate you listening to lou yeah i just wanted to mention our,
2: our new um our new podcast that we added to the stable just this week. Uh, and that's uh, where's Willie. Uh, and uh, I'm not going to tell you anything about it. It's just, the name should be intriguing <laughs> enough for you to go to it. So uh, enjoy that show. Uh, and we have others. We've got a total of five, uh, five in the stable and uh, we're always looking for new ideas, new concepts. If any of our listeners have a particular uh, point, complaint, comment, compliment, testimonial Or if you want to know where to mail the checks uh, Kindly look at our uh, website
0: <laughs> And thank, thank you for, for joining us for this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio
2: Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time At mfgtalkradio.com